And now, a special pure fandom podcast. <laughs> Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another Pure Fandom Podcast of Brad and Court Talk. Tonight, we'll be discussing the Black Monk House. I'm Brad. And I'm Court. Joining us tonight for our special coverage is another amazing Pure Fandom writer, Megan. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Great Thanks to have you with us. us. So, I understand you're somewhat of an expert in this topic also. <laughs> sort of. I think that um, <laughs> I like to spend a little too much time... Researching historical paranormal activity. I think it's a fun little thing, much to the chagrin of my husband and friends who don't have any interest in it at all. Luckily, I have you guys. Yeah, I know when this topic came up, we were chatting about it all really quick. We were like, oh, yeah, we'll talk about it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, what about this? And what about this? And oh, did you see this? And I love it. Exactly. It's a very interesting story. Absolutely. Uh, so the reason we're doing this is Destination America has a two-hour special coming your way just in time for some spooky doings on Halloween. The special is called Paranormal Lockdown, The Black Monk House. And again, it's a two-hour special event airing on October 31st, 9, 8 Central. The show sends paranormal researchers Nick Groff and Katrina Weedman to England, where they investigate 30 East Drive, Pontefract. We thought it would be a great idea to talk about the haunting that inspired the special, the Black Monk House, of course. But before we jump into tonight's topic, just want to remind everybody to check us out over at BeerFandom.com. A lot of great writers over there. If there's a show or movie that you love, someone over there is writing something amazing about it. So, short, let everybody know how they can reach us. Well, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Jen Dev, and he is Brad ZB, and Megan is at Megan E. Freeman on Twitter and Instagram as well. Be sure to follow at Pure Fandom as well, just to keep up to date on the latest articles as they're being posted. Also, check them out on P- Facebook. We have a couple of different Facebook groups as well, right? like Van Helsing. Lots of good doings there. Yes, very much so. So... Let's just jump in here with the uh, meat and potatoes of this. Uh, Jean and Joe Pritchard moved into 30 East Drive with their two children, Philip, who was 15, and Diane, who was 12, in August of 1966. Almost immediately, they began experiencing paranormal occurrences. And they didn't move out? No, they did not take the hint and move out at that time. I always yeah. yell at the screen when they don't move out. Yeah. They just kept thinking, this, this will get better. Yes. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Murphy did a great bit in Raw, you know, of Poltergeist. You know. If the ghost tells you to get out, get out. Let's go. Let's leave. <laughs> go. Got to leave. Some of the insane events that are said to t- have taken place there include green foam appearing around the taps, objects being... That'd be through. enough for me. That'd be enough. Yeah, that yeah. would definitely be enough. Exactly. Uh, objects being thrown around or levitated. Objects That appearing. would be over the top. Yes, objects I'd be gone already. <laughs> objects appearing out of nowhere. A grandfather clock was pushed down the stairs. Yeah, gone. Photographs being slashed and family members being slapped or shoved downstairs as well. Mm. Now, the reason this has the history of being one of the most violent poltergeists in England is one of the most horrific occurrences that happened revolved around the youngest children revolved around the youngest of the children, Diane, who was said to be drugged upstairs by invisible hands which wrapped around her throat, leaving marks on her skin from the attack. Move out. There you go. That's... mm. That is uh, way down on the poltergeist hauntings, by the way, so... Yeah. 
And that shouldn't have happened. Yeah, that's. I don't. I think I would be gone at that point in time. Over the time, there's been some investigations on what caused these attacks. Now, what we do know is between uh, 1090 and 1539, there had been a priory located near the house, and also the town's gallows were situated directly across the street from where the house now sits. During this time, a clunic monk was hung on the spot the house resides after being convicted of raping and murdering a young child the same age as Diane. So there we go. Um, so let's go with talking that, points. <laughs> well, and that, that sect of monk um, was known to be kind of a warrior monk type. So I know a lot of people are probably thinking that there were, that, you know, it was this peaceful monastery type Buddhist style monk, but um, that particular sect of monk was known as being kind of a more warrior monk. And keep in mind, it was the 1500s. Right. So people were uh, people were not quite as um, peaceful as they can be these days. Yes, things were a little bit different back then. Things were different. Weird. So this house has been around for a while, and all this happened back in 1966. It's been a little quiet, and it's just now starting to re- uh, come back into the news. Yeah. Between the both this documentary and then there was another ghost hunter there, which you can find articles if you Google it. Um, there have been some new photographic evidence, pictures of the monk that are considered some of the best ever captured. One is um, the reflection of a monk of the monk in a mirror um, behind the photographer. And another is a what looks like a rosary. They're all a little blurry, but they're reported to be the the best available graphic evidence of the black monk. Now, have you seen the one, the picture in the mirror, Courtney? Yeah. Uh, no. No. And that's, that's the one that Megan's talking about. Go out there and if you look for it, people, it's you can see it right off the bat. It's not one of these things where you're like, uh, it's kind of fuzzy. I'm not really sure about it. No, you can totally see the picture. It's right there. And it looks like somebody's standing there. So, mm-hmm. And both the... Uh, uh, mother and father, Joe and Jean Pritchard, at one point reported seeing oh. a, a cloak, um, a black monk-like robe um, in their room, in their bedroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Prior I pulled to it up. their daughter being drugged upstairs by her neck. Yeah, I pulled it up. That is creepy. It's it's and kind of in a creep factor. 2012, too. there was um, in 2012 they did a movie based on based loosely. On the story, uh, I think called The Lights Go Out. It was a right. British supernatural um, horror movie that came out in around 2012. Covered a little bit of the legend in with some fictional, um, with like a fictional eye. Kind of like what they did with Annabelle. Yeah. Yep. Be- because if you don't know it, the doll Annabelle looks nothing like the one in the movie. No. Mm-hmm. It's a raggedy and all. That's all it is. It's nothing, It, but it's still the creepy thing. So check out more on Annabelle. Anyhow, Black Monk. <laughs> yeah. side track. Back to the Black Monk. <laughs> but I think that one of the one of the things that's really interesting about the case is, A, it happened in the 60s, so it was pre, it predated um, Poltergeist or Ambieville, some of those other movies and legends 
about poltergeist. And the other thing that I think is really interesting is this isn't normal poltergeist activity. Right. Um, normally poltergeists are considered the jokesters of the spirit community. They really don't do, they don't like to cause harm to people. They will knock your dishes off and they'll rearrange your furniture and they'll, they'll do things that while creepy because you, you know, don't know who's doing it and it happens when you're asleep and they'll rearrange chairs in your dining room. They very rarely cause any sort of bodily harm. And in this case that, you know, they, that didn't happen that this specific poltergeist sort of jumped straight into a little bit more aggressive behavior. Um, and a lot of that, has to on well, the the root of most poltergeist activity has to do with both the land that it exists on, so like we talked about the gallows, and also the attitude of what's happening in in the home at the time. Um, and in this case, once some of this activity started, it obviously led to some some strife in the home. If you think about, I, I tend to equate it to Ghostbusters, where when that slime underneath New York city started absorbing the negative energy of New Yorkers and it created this kind of negative evil presence. Um, in most cases, poltergeist activity tends to raise an increase in veracity when the home life tends to have a little bit more negativity, which is usually what happens when you start getting slapped and kicked down the stairs. Right. And we also have, there's five stages of parent of uh, poltergeist activity too, which is, you know, stage one is the Latin dormant stage. Nothing much happens in this. You just think things are going on. Stage two, uh, obvious detection. And that's where you know some of the activity going on is not usual. And where you should be gone. Yeah, well, yeah. Should be no yeah. By the, by the time you get to stage two, you should have figured out you shouldn't be in the house. Stage three, increased kinetic activity is where things start, you know, moving around you. This is where all the weird stuff happens. And this is where, you know, things get uh, thrown and open and closed and everything like that. Uh, stage four is the intelligent individual targeting where, you know, this is where the poltergeists have been known to start targeting, targeting specific individuals in the home. Okay. And stage five is the dangerous, life-threatening kinetic activity part, which is pretty much where this poltergeist jumped right to. This is the part mm -hmm, where, right. you know, we're going right. to hurt you. And the pushing down of the of the uh, clock on the stairs and the dragging Diane up the stairs, things like that. This yep. is where you should definitely be gone. Agreed. Once, you, once there's an obvious detectable, don't get past stage two. No. Just, yeah. Don't. Just once you feel something's going on, maybe leave. So that these sorts of things don't happen. Yeah, I love the fact that um, they they have the house opening for different viewings, different things that you want to do, but you're not allowed to bring a Ouija board and you're not allowed to have exorcisms in the house. Uh -uh. Like, who who no. does that? Like, what, what what would make you want to bring something like that with well, something so malevolent? Well, the interesting part about not bringing the Ouija board is the communications device that, uh, you know, some people say it's a communication device. The other people say it's a portal to hell and everybody's going to die if you have one. Damnation. <laughs> the they, they freaked me out completely. Uh, back in college, uh, we had a Halloween party, and this girl brought one, and I wanted nothing to do with it. 
Like if, yeah, if I think I used to play with the Ouija board. Like yeah. Ouija board was one of our like weekend activities. That and that game, light as feather, stiff as a board. Uh, yeah. Convince my girlfriends to play that and to play with the Ouija board. But truthfully, I hope none of my elementary school and middle school friends are listening to this now. Now they'll know. <laughs> I always moved that little thing. I never. <gasps> oh, I moved it every time. <laughs> These are my. Well, somebody friends. had to move it. Well, yeah, because you know. I wanted it to say certain things, and uh, I'm, I'm guessing that my friend Kelly's house in middle school was super haunted. <laughs> All right, see, now we know. There you go. Uh, mm-hmm. In the documentary that we that's on Paranormal Lockdown, they have this thing called the Wilden's Video Box that they use, and in the episode, they really didn't explain much about it other than it pulled out and start using it, which I was kind of like, okay, what's this thing do? So, yeah, that was fascinating. Yeah, this is a uh, video box that was created by uh, Keith Weldon, and it's an uh, instrumental transcommunication device that was created so the other side can communicate with us. Uh, this device scans through radio stations and creates distorted images for spirits to manipulate and communicate. It has two, cam- two video cameras and audio, which is fed into a monitor. So there's this distorted video and audio look thing going on. I've seen other video of this thing in action, and I'm not overly convinced on anything that I've seen on it. Most everything I've seen is I lean towards pareidolia for that. I just I'm mm-hmm. not seeing the same things you're seeing, and I'm like uh, I'm not seeing it. But it's based on the theory of uh, the Frank's box, which is I think is really cool because I've heard some really fun things about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank's box scans through radio frequencies, which you know allows uh, spirits to communicate. There are sessions with the Frank's box that I've heard, which have been interesting because you have people asking questions and they're getting answers back. So what happens on this is just picture your radio dial, just scrolling through your radio dial continuously, and you're mm-hmm. just getting the bits and pieces of audio from whatever station you go through. And so they'll go out to a location and they'll say, is there somebody here? And you'll hear it go through and you'll hear hear yes or a name and, you know, what's your name and Courtney and all that stuff. And it will go through. I've heard really good things with the Frank's Ghost Box, which is built by Frank something. And he's done a whole (laughs) bunch of different ones. But that's who Frank is, Frank something. something. And, And he's done a whole bunch of them, but. Those are really good communication devices. This Weldon's video box that they had, I, I'm not sold on that thing at all. Oh, well, I guess if you're dealing with the paranormal, then you don't need um, necessarily the most upgraded equipment. I think if you go a little bit more basic on it, I mean, I understand the video thing, but yeah, that just wasn't. It didn't do it for me. But that's that's just it. That's just one of the things in there. So if you watch the show, you'll know that's what that is, and that's what it's based on. So there were a bunch of other things that happened in the house as well that we haven't touched on. So Megan, you want to talk to a little bit about that? Yeah. So in the um, in the show, they had a couple of different interactions, but one of the more famous bits of activity. And this kind of goes a little bit more with traditional poltergeist activity where it didn't actually hurt anybody and it was a little humorous, if a little bit humorous to hear about, probably not to experience. Um, at one point, a pair of fur covered women's gloves began to kind of float around the hall. And this was when the Pritchards lived there and would 
interact with people um, or objects as if somebody was actually wearing them. So it would do things like move planters and they would, at one point, there was a, a report of them, a woman singing, and I can't remember if it was a relative or somebody in the home was singing and the gloves appeared to conduct her singing. Oh, yeah. 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 And I think that those are the types of things. It's almost like having, um, for the most part, poltergeist is just almost having a teenage boy around the house who just messes with you constantly and throws your stuff around and makes a mess. Like Mm. they normally don't do anything harmful. Yeah. They would, these gloves would float around and kind of do this. And the other thing just to prove kind of how innocuous the family initially thought that this presence was, they, they nicknamed it Fred. So they had this pet name for it. They called it Fred. They brought in the local community and the local media, the local media then changed the name to Mr. Nobody. This was all obviously prior to some of the, um, some of the research done to actually find out who the black monk was. This is before um, Kunis researching and discovering that you know this this priest was killed on the property. The family also at one point uh, brought in people from the Catholic Church. They brought in a priest to try to exercise the house, but nothing really worked. And it almost seems like the more attempts they had to exercise, the black monk angered him and it kind of instigated additional activity, which, you know, I guess if you think about it, the monk's been there for a hot minute and now you're bringing in these priests in 1960s trying to exercise demons from the house and it's not really working. Um, there were a couple other famous, more famous reports besides the gloves, which was my personal favorite, um, but objects being lifted in the air. And then there was one that involved a, um, a series of upside down crosses mm-hmm. that manifested on the wall. So, in this case, if you're still in your home and you know that there's something creeping and you know that somebody has been messing with your stuff and and black and upside down crosses start appearing on your wall, um, you should leave. You should mm-hmm. probably immediately walk out because that's a bad sign. Yes. Don't don't stay. Get out. Don't stay any longer. It's bad. You don't want to be there. What did the inter- interesting fact that the neighbor, um, I believe her name is May Mountain, I think it is. Yeah, I think you're right. She's been there. Dude, I forgot her. Yeah, it's it's like a duplex, basically, for those of you who don't know what it looks like. And she lives in the other half of the house, and she's been there the entire time. And she retells the story over and over to uh, investigators and stuff like that. And basically, she's like, yeah, I just deal with it. And I hear yeah. the growling and everything else, but it's on the other side of the drywall, so I'm good. Which and she's is, never really had a ton, other than when she crosses the house, like, she's never really had a ton of, she's never had any interactions that have really disturbed her, bothered her enough to move at all. Right, but she she's heard the, the growling that she says, you know, sometimes it growls. Mm-hmm and other things like that. And that's it. And she just kind of, yeah, I live here, but she doesn't like to go in the house either. No. And she is a much braver woman than I am. 
but you also leave it with the fact of if you're putting your house up for sale and the the other interesting fact the entire town even before this happened even it became more public the entire town knew about this poltergeist haunting the place yeah so they all knew about it also so you couldn't sell that yeah. house for anything no <laughs> no one's going to actually move into it in fact, the house is still set up and looks pretty much exactly like it did when they lived there, which I think yep. they kind of redid all that for tourists and I mean not tourists but people who go and look there. But yeah, because I think you can you can there are visitations and stuff that we talked about, so you know you kind of want to keep it a little bit preserved for tourism purposes, I guess. Right. Well, in in the paranormal destination one, they stay there for a hundred hours. Yep. So, but and they yeah. sleep on very tiny beds. Ex- yeah, English beds, very tiny, small people. Um, yeah. I say that because I'm six three, and <laughs> everybody except <laughs> the guy I met yesterday was small to me. But uh, well, that's the other thing. They actually the, the in this documentary they did sleep. Um, Two nights, was it? Three nights? Yes. I can't remember. A hundred hours, whatever that is. But they were actually able to get some sleep in the house, which I found a little bit baffling, especially considering how much activity they were um, reporting and seeing and experiencing and even some of the physical interactions they had. They yeah. still were able to get some rest. They woke up a few times on it, but, you know, it was still kind of interesting. But... May living next door is a whole thing that kills me. I'm like, she's just dealing with it. I mean, what else you got to do? You just kind of go with it, I guess. Yeah, as long as it doesn't shift its attention, you can live next door. It's been here for that long, but it's kind of weird that a, what is it, a, you know, a half-inch sheet of drywall or lathe or whatever is it's keeping this monk in one side of the house and not coming to the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Which is baffling. Agreed. But they do say that. I mean, there's a lot going on there. Like I said, everybody knows it's there. Everybody's seen it. There's been other people who claim to have seen the monk before, seen it in the windows, um, mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's been kind of interesting. To, yeah, and then uh, there's a a book by Colin Wilson called Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Um, it has some of the best. It, it actually does some of a really or does a really great job of looking at poltergeist in general, but it does do great job at analyzing and looking at the the black monk legend um, and other and other um, poltergeist hauntings that have existed throughout history. But one of the one of one of the parts of the book focuses on on the black monk, but then it also goes back to um, Greece and Rome and kind of looks at what poltergeists are, why they're here, why they appear, and kind of, then it goes into some more specific haunting. So it's, it's a really good book if people are interested in learning a little bit more about the specific entity, um, not just not just interested in Black Monk, but if they're interested in, in poltergeist in general. That's a good one. Huh, I have to look that one up. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, well, and then the other... The other like weird thing with the monk legend, um, you know, he did find out that this, and this is one of the things we talk about on an episode of last of last podcast on the left, is that it may not have actually been the man that they put to death, the monk they put to death. It may not have actually been right. him. It 
may have been his brother yes. who murdered and raped, raped and murdered the young girl. Yes, and he just took, and the, he blame took the blame for him. Yeah, that's a good. I love that theory on it. It could have been him. We'll never know. You can't prove it. No, no. But As yeah, it turns out the DNA is no longer available from that time period. <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> just, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. that's TSI. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just pull that up. TSI like, 1500s rapes and murders. I found a I found a fingerprint. No, oh, no, never mind. It's not him. There's a blood splatter. <laughs> it's a blood splatter. <laughs> fires. No. Uh, one of the things that gets me about this too is brings up a question about this house and about hauntings and stuff like that. Is it the investigators that go in and investigate the hauntings that cause it to keep coming back? Well, I think that was one of the interesting things about this this documentary. Um, the Nick, when he came in, he was directed there from another previous investigation that they had done, and it, it almost seemed like the entity that he claims to have interacted with at that other house followed him, um, making it seem a lot more like a demonic situation rather than a pure poltergeist investigation. Right. He was instructed to go to Pontefract by this other entity, and once he goes, um, a lot of what he experiences seems to be residual from his previous experience. And then even once they leave the Black Monk house, it follows him a little bit. And I think that that, in this case, that could be what happens. I think a lot of haunting uh, people, when they investigators go there, if you are a paranormal investigator, you are opening yourself up, which is why I don't do it. You're open. You're opening yourself up to this other world and to these other experiences. And I think that it's impossible to think that that can impact you and, and stick with you a little bit. And so whether your or your presence stimulates it, whatever it is, I think there has to be some sort of correlation there. Right, it's that whole thing we've all seen, like from Nightmare on Elm Street. Whatever you're doing, yeah. it's feeding the entity. Yeah, and ghost hunters in general, people who deal with this stuff on a, a lot of uh, on a regular basis, they have issues. A lot of yeah. them have like health issues and things that happen, and that could correspond with you know opening themselves up to everything that's going on the negative energy it affects them a lot of people a lot of them die of weird circumstances because mm-hmm. they'll end up having odd illnesses or a lot of them suffer from migraines and those be different kinds of unexplained physical ailments mm-hmm. that you have to think that it can't be I would find it very odd if we're pure. Right. And and if you put enough of them together, it's kind of, it all, it's, it, it makes you wonder first. I mean, it's just that amount of people. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. say, well, it could happen to anybody, but yeah, but you're looking at one certain group and yeah, it's, it just makes you wonder how much that opening up does, does it actually affect? Exactly. Better reason if the ghost tells you to get out of the house, get out of the house. Yeah. Cannot stress that enough, people. Don't do it. If you take one thing away from this entire conversation, if you think your house is haunted, don't risk it. Right. There's, have we learned nothing from Amityville, The Shining, and all of the other haunted shows and legends that we've heard? Get out. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, get out. But the scary thing also is the fact that the Catholic Church is uh, recruiting more exorcists nowadays. So, I have not heard that. Oh yeah, it's it's you know they have they are increasing the amount of them that are out there. Uh, I believe the last thing I heard was something that was like ten more official exorcists in the United States or whatever. It's yeah, it's a very interesting, weird thing, and it's kind of. Just Google it. You'll see it. You'll see it, people. Yeah. Just Google exorcist needed or something like that, and you'll come up with it. It makes you wonder what's going on, but there you are. Well, are people yeah, crazy? Yeah, have there been more exorcisms? That's a good question. Is there Are there more exorcisms being done, or is it more people needing thinking they need exorcists? But there's a whole process you go through with the church before you can actually get an exorcist. I mean, it's not... right. Yeah, we just don't. You just don't go. Oh, yeah, you need one. Let me go in here and do this whole thing. Well, they have to be sanctioned right. mm-hmm. by the church in general. Exactly. Because it- apparently they were. I don't know, and I also wonder if there is a difference because in the 1960s, as talked about, priests came and tried to exercise the home, the Blackman house. So it is easier to have an exorcism performed on a physical property as opposed to a human. Well, apparently the one that they did, so. yeah, the the one that they did on the property of the uh, of the Black Monk House didn't seem to work at all. So, no, it just pissed them off. Yeah, nothing, nothing that I know of. They've ever been back to try anything else. Yeah, it says you can visit the house, but no Ouija boards and no exorcisms. Because money, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my only guess. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know what to think about it. I know I'm not going in there. I don't care. Oh, absolutely not. Oh, if it's haunted, just tell me once. You even can... though I'm supposed to go to a haunted house next weekend. Well, haunted... But it's going to be a fake haunted house. Well, a fake haunted house is totally different than a real haunted house. Exactly. Uh, you can I don't actually... mind going to... I, I don't mind going to supposedly haunted places. That's never really bothered me. But I think it's partly because I'm not as... I'm more curious about the historical aspect of it anyway and the legend behind it and the lore. Mm-hmm rather than the, I don't need to experience it to enjoy the the concept of it. I think right. that's the difference between you know people like me who are interested in the paranormal and interested in the historical folklore around some of these myths and legends and hauntings and things like that, as opposed to, you know, I don't, I don't need to buy and invest in a ton of ghost hunting equipment to prove it to myself that it's real. Right. I don't I don't need just that. the idea of it is enough. Yeah, it's interesting. I yeah. think it's fascinating and I think the way that we interact with folklore and the way that folklore tends to mold how we view the world and how we teach our children, it's still it's still just as fascinating, at least in my perspective. No, I agree. but I have friends who go and do stuff like that. Like they have ghost hunting equipment, and they go to places around where I live that are supposedly hunt- there's a, a abandoned asylum nearby, and they will go there and they'll bring their equipment and do things and fine, and and they definitely have experienced things and have seen and heard and and all of that. But that's just not. I like the idea of it and I've gone on a few and it's been fun. I don't, I don't want to get too deeply embedded in that world. Right. 
No, I, I, I'm I got enough you. issues. I got enough going on. I got enough mm-hmm. problems. I don't need haunting. <laughs> I agree with like, you. I'm too busy trying to keep my life together. I can see some of the f- things about people going out to all these places, and some of them I'd like to go look at and take a couple pictures and stuff like that. I don't need to get into full-time ghost hunting because, one, um, there's not enough time in my week for mm-hmm. it. I have right. other things to write, and I got other podcasts to do and TV to watch, and, well, there's my week, so I don't have time to go out and ghost hunt. for. And the mi- worst thing, everything happens in the middle of the night. Like mm-hmm. one to right. three. I'm sorry. I'm in bed at that point in time. I just, I'm tired. <laughs> it's, I got to wake up and go to the gym in the morning. I only have time to stay up till three o'clock right. going, did you hear that? Push this ball for me. Push the ball. Push, the, you know. And if I'm up at three o'clock in the morning, it is not to ghost hunt. <laughs> no. I am probably doing something else and having a lot more fun. <laughs> than sitting in a dark room talking to a recorder. Exactly. But there okay. are things that I've heard. Well, there are things I've heard with the uh, the electronic voice phenomenon, the EVPs, that mm-hmm. I am totally down with things that people catch on them. And you can hear it clear. But then in the end, it's also the point where there are the EVPs where they go, okay, here's what the ghost said, and then they play it for you. Okay, so if you tell me what it says, I'm automatically going to hear exactly what it says. Exactly. It is that kind of... Um, I think that there's an actual phrase for it that I can't remember, but it implants in your mind what you should see or hear. It's it's like looking at those, um, some of those weird pictures where they're like, do you see an old woman or do you see a lamp? Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, tell me what I'm supposed to see. And that's what. Right. Paradoia. That's the, where your brain makes images that you can relate out of pictures that you're looking at. Like uh, a lot of the pictures from Mars that people go, look, it's a shoe. And it's not a freaking shoe. It's a rock, man. Come on. But but it's the same thing on that. I mean, there's some of them that are clear and you can hear and it's totally, yeah, that was exactly what it was. And then that was the thing with the Weldon's video box. I was watching a video on that and on how it's done and it was catching audio also. But it started out and it was doing subtitles of the audio that I was supposedly hearing. And I wasn't hearing that. And then at the end, it circled the images on the video that I was supposed to be seeing of this face. And I'm like, that's not, that's a doorknob. I don't know what that is. Exactly. But there there are things out there. I mean, I'm not poo-pooing everything out there. I mean, there's a lot of things that I can go with, but there are certain things that I'm just not there. Don't show me a picture of an orb because an orb is just a dust particle in the air, people. (laughs) Come on. No orbs. I don't care about your orbs. <laughs> Take them elsewhere. Exactly. But if I am someplace and I clearly hear somebody whisper in my ear, get out, mm-hmm. I, I'm i going to listen right. or at least consider it. I've had a couple weird, creepy things happening to me over my life that I'm totally like, yeah, I'm done and going. So, Well, and we have gut instinct and we have intuition for a reason. So if you move in somewhere, if you're in a hotel room or something and it feels creepy or it feels uneasy, then trust, like trust your gut and whether it's paranormal or whether it's because someone is going to do you harm, who is a living, breathing person, which is probably a lot more likely. Just listen to your gut and go. Don't wait for your child to be drug up the stairs by their neck or for somebody to hide in your bathroom. Like it, we have those kinds of, 
instincts and they're embedded in our DNA where it's the hair on the back of your neck goes up or you get goosebumps or if you just generally feel uncomfortable, go. It's like in the documentary, the guy was feeling physically ill. He Mm -hmm. felt like he was going to throw up. He was needing to sit down. He felt like his energy was being drained. And then, you know, I get it. It's a TV show and he's being paid a lot of money to, you know, lock himself in for a hundred hours or whatever, but it's not, it's not worth it. It's not worth the risk at all. No, it's it's, stupid. Don't do it. No. Again, the one thing you should take from this podcast is if a ghost or a spiritual entity tells you to leave the place, you should listen. Just get out of the house, people. Come on. Take your children and go. That's all you got to do. You don't, yeah. you don't need Whoopi Goldberg from Ghost sitting there being like, Molly, you in danger, girl. <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> Just leave. All right. No, I think that's, uh, we got a lot covered there on a black month. We got a uh, black monk. We got anything else going on? Anybody got any remaining thoughts before we cut this off? No. No. I'm good. All right. So if you aren't there already, head on over to purefandom.com. And let me switch to the right one. If you aren't there already, head on over to purefandom.com and check out some of the other killer articles posted there. We all have a bunch of different articles there. And there are tons of awesome writers filling up the site with amazing stuff. Also, be sure to check out our other recaps, articles, and interviews over at Pure Fandom. We're currently covering Sci-Fi's Van Helsing and Z Nation. I write recaps and other posts for NBC's Timeless, Fox's Lucifer, and my favorite rookie of the year, Pitch. Brad is focusing on some upcoming sci-fi shows. Yay, magicians, that's coming back soon. Um, Megan will be recapping Grimm and Salem. And if you have any thoughts or comments about this podcast, just let us know in the comments below or hit us up on Twitter or the Facebook page. Until next time, if a ghost tells you to get out of the house, we can't stress enough. Get out. Get out. That's it for this episode. Head on over to purefandom.com for more awesome content.